I don't know what this means, but they look happier than you do. <laughs> I learned a long time ago as a, uh, as a youth minister that you, uh, you get to speak when the preacher doesn't want to. And I know Chris would rather be here today, so I'm not saying this about him, but uh, as a youth minister, you get the sermons that are more convenient for the preacher not to have. I hadn't been hired more than five minutes at a church in Iowa, and he said, could you fill in? We're doing this message series on the Sermon on the Mount, and you have the subject of divorce. And uh, I didn't know much about marriage, much less divorce, so uh, I figured out my place then. And then every, every uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving I got, you know, and people are drugged out on turkey, and, and that's when I get to speak. So, uh, But I am grateful to be with you today, and I'm grateful to see uh, not only your faces, and I know there are people watching from home, but there are a lot of new faces here. And I think that's an incredible thing, uh, encouraging, very encouraging. And this church is uh, a church that I love, and so many wonderful people in my life have come from here. And so uh, it's a treat to be back. And uh, we're looking at a subject in your uh, study of Core 52, and it's a subject, I think, today that is both relevant and it's critical. It's relevant because everywhere I look, what we're talking about today is severely lacking. Everywhere. It doesn't matter if I, I look uh, uh, in my neighborhood or in the, my workplace or with the students I minister to or uh, even in my own family, the subject that we're talking about today is critical uh, as well as, as relevant. And I say it's critical because we, uh, we have to think rightly about this subject, not only for ourselves, but for the whole world. Um, each person here, those present, those watching from home, um, is vulnerable to moments without the thing that we're talking about today. We're all vulnerable. And so we need to hear it for ourselves. I think we also need to hear it because in pursuit of what we so badly need and want and desire, a lot of people are turning in the wrong direction. And, uh, and so we need to speak truth in their lives, which is another reason why I think it's uh, critical that we understand rightly today about this subject. And that is the fact that if the people who know God who have God living in them, if we don't understand this right, and if we don't get what God wants to give, I don't know that we have much that will be appealing to the rest of the world. So we have to figure this out, and we're going to do that in our study. And we're talking today about happiness, and specifically about finding happiness. And as I've just stated, it's a study in your book, Core 52, and I can't state strongly enough how important it is for us to think rightly about this this day. All around you and I, people are struggling with happiness. And you just have to gaze just for a moment in any direction, but, but look closely and you'll see it. I helped my kids move into a home in Grain Valley, Missouri last weekend. And uh, 
to one side uh, of their home was a neighbor who the dad got out of the car, uh, wobbled into the house, and out came an 11-year-old boy. And uh, I kind of figured out what the dad's problem might have been, but the little boy would not leave the house the whole time we were moving. He wanted company. He was lonely. And what he needed, he wasn't getting at the moment. And on the other side of the house, an elderly uh, lady came over to offer help, but her husband had had three strokes. They had not been to church in three years. And uh, I told my son, I know why you're here. I mean, it's obvious. On both sides of you and probably across the street and probably behind you too, you have something to give people that they need. And the truth is we all need happiness. We all need it right now. We need more than we have. And for some, the absence of it is a new struggle. We've never had to deal with it before. But you know, for others, they're familiar with this. They fight this often. It's been an unwelcome friend in their life for a long time. So all of us need to understand what we can about it. And the evidence of it is, is everywhere. It's, it's not hard to see it. We see it in the faces of people. We hear it in their voices. We notice they aren't as social as they once were. Or even worse, we notice they've quit being social. They've isolated themselves. And, uh, and the lack of happiness might be easier to talk about in terms of other people. But the truth is it needs to be talked about here because we are all vulnerable. I think about that every time I look in the mirror, that I'm as prone to being unhappy as anyone else in the world. So I needed what, uh, what you guys were scheduled to talk about as much as you did. Uh, psychologists and sociologists talk about indicators in our country right now of, um, of a level of unhappiness. And I would bet these indicators would apply everywhere in the world. But they talk about things like increased drug use and alcohol use and even abuse to a higher level than we've seen in the past. They talk about spending frenzies that are going on where people think they can spend their way to happiness, that more things will change how they feel and uh, more things will, will make uh, everything better. They talk about increased family conflict and boy, could I tell you about that. Uh, not just from my in-laws side of the family, but sometimes from mine too. And I can say that because my in-laws aren't here. But uh, no, I, everywhere, families are stressed. Uh, at the campus house, we've had more roommate conflicts this year than ever before. And it's not because we have different people or, or less happy people. It's a level of stress that we're all carrying, but there's just not much margin uh, for us to lose anything uh, that we already have and, and we're not able to give what others need always. So uh, we see that everywhere. Psychologists, sociologists talk about increased marital conflict. They talk about uh, an increase in divorce, of violence and crime. And of course, the ultimate measure of unhappiness, they talk about an increase in suicide. And our society is, is struggling now. We are struggling. And so many indicators support the argument that, that we're not a happy people at present. And many are struggling in ways that, that they don't even understand. 
So we're going to explore the subject of happiness this morning. We're going to look at what happiness is made of. We're going to look at what contributes to unhappiness. And we're going to seek a biblical understanding of the subject so that we see it rightly from God's point of view. Uh, because that's always the place to go to set all other things right. Happiness in the modern sense of our use of the word is elusive. In fact, what most people mean when they're wanting to be happy or, or when they're voicing that they're not happy, they want pleasure. And, uh, and they are not experiencing pleasure. Uh, my context of the people I work with would, would speak of fun. We're not having fun anymore in school. And I think that's a true thing. They're not enjoying it the way they used to. But that's what the world is looking at when they talk about happiness. It's usually uh, fun. And what we really want, what deeply inside us that we really want is a, a lasting happiness, a contentment. We want fulfillment. We want peace and security. Those are the things that happiness is made of. And, and that's the deepest desire of our heart. And we understand that as Christians more in terms of joy than we do happiness. Joy is present always when Christ is first in our heart. And there are moments that, uh, that ebb and flow of happiness, but joy is always the undercurrent that, that we can experience. In fact, the very word happiness is rooted in the word happenstance, which is situational, circumstantial. It is not lasting. It is not uh, uh, a word that describes uh, that inward desire for, uh, for a long-term joy. But what we are looking at, I think, deeply as Christians is a word that in Jesus' day the Greeks used and they called it eudaimonia. Eudaimonia. And a lot of times it's translated in the Bible, in the New Testament, for sure, as blessedness or blessed. Blessed Jesus will use in the Sermon on the Mount over and over. Eudaimonia was different, though, than other kinds of happiness. And you can see it just by dividing up in its, uh, in its root usage. You means good, the prefix you. In order to be truly happy, you have to be good, or what makes you happy has to be good. Daimon was a, a word that would, uh, would reflect the fact that it's spirit and not body. That, uh, that the deepest sense of happiness is from within and not externally from without. And then eon would uh, refer to lasting. So it's a, a good, lasting, inside uh, feeling that accompanies though that those that are seeking to be blessed. And it was a universal desire that God has put in our hearts that uh, I think is so unique to our creation that it's even a reason atheists will point to God as not being real because we are not happy people. Um, it's the whole that God created in us, in our hearts, for him. And so it's that God-sized hole that only he can fill. And it was elusive, you'll remember, to a young Solomon who wrote in Ecclesiastes, he, uh, he experienced everything he could in search of what only God could fill. He uh, searched uh, for happiness by acquiring things, by achieving accomplishments, by, 
marrying and marrying and marrying many women, having many concubines. He looked for it in all the wrong places, and only at the end does he find out that it was in God alone. It's a desire, as the author of the Core 52 book says, as innate within us as is a desire for food and sleep and sex and security. And Mark Moore, in his book, uh, uh, the author of the Core 52, writes that happiness uh, is uh, largely affected by three chemicals that God has placed within us that can be manipulated. They can be increased. And, um, and this was helpful to me to learn because I, uh, I didn't know much about this. Uh, but one of those chemicals is oxytocin. It's the chemical that gives you a sense of comfort, uh, creates a sense of safety and trust. It is released when we receive a hug, when we shake a hand, when we get an elbow pump or a, a pat on the back or, or a wanted kiss. It only works when it's wanted. Uh, it assists in attraction. And it's often called the, the love chemical. It's involved in that process. But that gives a momentary feeling of happiness. Another is dopamine. It's the chemical of adventure. And it is released when our mind is buzzing with activity and there's thrill in our life and there's creative energy that we're, we're uh, uh, experiencing. And it's plentiful when we're traveling, when we're experiencing new things, when we are overwhelmed with the place that we're at. And the third is serotonin. And it's released uh, when we're honored, when we are respected, when we feel loved, when uh, uh, we are elevated in the presence of people that we care about. And it makes us feel good about ourselves, not because we're having happy thoughts, but because they come from other people. All of those are part of God's design in your life, and, and some people have an absence of those, and that's sometimes what medicine can help to get to that baseline level, but we all need moments when they are added to our life to bring happiness. In fact, Mark Moore calls them the happy juices of the brain. And uh, out of balance, they're, they're, they're a problem. In fact, these three can become very addictive. We can crave them so much that we do wrong things in pursuit of right feelings. Or we do unhealthy things in pursuit of right feelings. Um, and so we have to watch that. Another problem with them, though, is that they're temporary, and they were designed to be temporary, short-lived. In other words, we can't always stay in that moment of being thrilled. There's only so many uh, times you can ride a roller coaster before it just becomes another ride, or only uh, so many experiences that you can have uh, before you begin to expect that experience over and over. And so God knew what he was doing, and we can't live constantly with high levels of any of those three, but we weren't designed to. Rather, God designed us to experience them in brief moments, but not forever. And I understand that. I think we all do. I have five children. Three of them are married. They live elsewhere. When they come home, um, 
I can't wait to see them, but I love the hugs that they give. And, uh, man, it feels good when your kids come home and hug you. But if they came home and hugged and hugged and hugged and didn't let go, it'd get awkward, wouldn't it? I wouldn't have that moment of, uh, of happiness any longer. I'd be pushing them away or they'd be pushing me away. There's food that I love and, uh, and I think about and I crave, but if I ate it all the time, it, it would no longer be the food I loved or craved. I like what Dave Ramsey said, that he's eaten uh, lobster enough times to know that if you eat too much, it tastes like soap. And uh, I haven't had that many uh, experiences with it, but, but I understand what he's saying, that, uh, that too many uh, experiences, and they lo no longer become what we want them to be. I love the mountains. I used to live in Alaska, and um, I long for those mountains quite often uh, in uh, my daydreaming. But I've been in the mountains long enough that eventually, after being there, your legs begin to hurt, uh, you begin to get short-winded, and, uh, and the hiking has led to cramps, and not only that, but the mosquitoes are hitching a ride back down the mountain as you, as you climb. Uh, mosquitoes are awful there. So it doesn't take long before I'm tired of the mountains. I love the beach. And we do a lot of mission trips to places where there's beach, there, there are beaches and water because it's the cheapest direction to go on a mission trip. But I've been there enough times to know that after a while, the sand starts annoying me, the gnats start bothering me. And not only that, but you look at the ocean long enough and it just kind of blurs into the horizon and eventually it's just another place. We haven't been created to sustain long moments of happiness. But God's designed us to be happy, to desire that. And he's created us with those chemicals that will give momentary and short bursts of happiness. But obviously we can't live in a state of happiness. Joy we can, because it's based on something greater than us, but not happiness. And so some would argue, as I said, and I think C.S. Lewis would agree that on the, the basis of our desire for happiness, but we're not happy people, that could be looked at as a proof that there is no God. That we are never content if we are created by him, that seems like it should be different. So C.S. Lewis had an argument in his book, uh, 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 he wrote about it a couple different places. The problem of pain was one. Uh, but he said this in his argument. If God were all good, he would want his creatures to be perfectly happy. If God were all knowing, he would know what makes his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were all powerful, he would do what he knows would make his creatures perfectly happy. But his creatures are not perfectly happy. Therefore, either God is not good, or he's not all-knowing, or he's not all-powerful. And that was his argument uh, in mere Christianity to, to speak to the fact that we recognize that there is a gap between what we desire and what we experience. But he went on to say, the problem could be, though, in the fact that we are defining happiness differently than God 
and certainly defining good differently than God does. And so he came to another conclusion, that maybe we weren't created for this place at all, that the place that we so deeply long to be is not here on earth, but the place that we've been created and has been prepared for us in heaven. That may be one of his signature uh, 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 teachings and, and philosophies, that, that God has prepared us for a place where we're not yet. But we see moments of that. We experience moments of that on earth. But until we arrive in that place where he's, where he's prepared us for, we have to learn to be content with just happy moments and not always being happy. And so as individuals, we've got a role in that. We can do things to put us in places where we can experience happiness, but we can't give it to ourselves. I think that's by God's design too. We cannot bring happiness to ourselves because it is outside of us. It's external. Our greater joy, as we all know, comes from bringing moments of happiness to other people. And then surprisingly, we get the same experience. And so we're looking at that and, and we're acknowledging as individuals that there are things we can do to help other people. We can give handshakes and hugs and, and we can tell them we miss them and we can uh, give phone calls and, and make sure that people are okay. We can take food to people. Uh, we can uh, uh, do a lot of things externally to give them those experiences and we should. We've got to do that. They need it. We, uh, we need to do it. As a government, our government gets a lot of things wrong, but they don't seem to understand the fact that you can't give people happiness. Not in the amount of money you give them, not in uh, titles you give or names you give or anything. It's got to come, remember, from that good reason, that good uh, eudaimonia experience. So... We're looking at a biblical view of that today, and the one who can give us what we desire, that blessedness, is the one who knows what our hearts desire because he created us. He's the one who created us with desires for happiness. He's the one that's been leading us our entire lives to look towards him uh, for happiness and not the things on earth. And he's also the one that has created in us a desire to find him. And so let's look at a biblical view of happiness today. The Bible speaks of a happiness that our, our souls desire, not, uh, not circumstantial like happy, happiness, but uh, like that eudaimonia that the Greeks spoke about. And it comes to us in many voices. It comes to us from Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. There was a, uh, a moment when I was trying to reconcile that in my life when my desires were not God's desires. And when I didn't get in my life what I desired, I didn't experience what he was offering. I had to align my heart with his. And once I delighted myself in him, I began to get the things that my heart desired. It took a change. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul will say. Philippians 3.1. He 
He says that as a prisoner riding in a cell with many, many reasons to not be happy, uh, to not be in a spirit of rejoicing. But indeed, he was rejoicing because he knew how the story ended. He knew what awaited him, whether he lived or died. He said it didn't matter to him uh, because he knew what awaited. He will say again to the Thessalonian congregation, rejoice always. And who can say that unless there's someone who, uh, there are a person that's experienced reasons to not rejoice, but they've worshiped through it. James would say to us, we consider those blessed or happy, as some translations would say, who remain steadfast uh, from James 5.11. Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, repeats that phrase over and over, blessed are, but they're blessed for reasons that we wouldn't consider reasons to be happy. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And so when we see things from God's perspective, we not only have joy, but we get the blessing of happiness too. Psalm is a, psalms, uh, these psalms are a place where uh, we find a lot of emotions that God's people had. Psalms has been called the hymnal of the second temple. And uh, the book of Psalms says, teacher James Crenshaw provides a window through which ancient Israel's response to God's presence or absence can be viewed. In fact, you read Psalms and you get to peek into the heart of the people that were writing them. And it is all there. The, the parts that you would expect where people praise God, thank him for victory, thank him that they overcame an enemy, uh, where they uh, are delighted to be uh, walking to Jerusalem again, to worship again, that's there and you expect that. What's not expected are the, the psalms that are written to a God who seems absent, who might not care, a, a God who has turned a deaf ear to the cries of his people, or a God who has, uh, has fallen asleep on the job. It's all there. And it tells me something very important that if, if God's people could feel those things and God would allow us to read it and grow by it, then it's probably okay for us to feel those things too, to not always be happy with God. And, and you and I both know that that happens when we don't understand what God's doing. Eventually, our head sets our heart straight. But in this book of Psalms, in the very first chapter, we find, uh, we find God making a distinction between those who find happiness and those who don't. Listen to what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The word blessed means happy. Happy is the person who finds his company not with those who would, uh, would deny God, would argue against God, would live a life in refusal to God, but, but those who find their, their place delightful with those who see the law of God 
as a rescue and not a burden. You see, the, the psalmist says there, there are two paths. And, and those two paths lead you into directly opposite locations. And not only that, but you go one direction and everything you desire will, will forever be out of reach. And then you go the other direction and everything that God is offering is more than you ever longed for. So the psalmist sets before us two choices. And that path is in our pursuit of happiness is very clear where the outcome will be. The psalmist goes on to say that the person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it, he'll be like a tree. And that tree will be planted by streams of water. It will yield its fruit in season. Its leaf will not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And uh, he, he makes it clear that you end up in a whole different place when you begin to seek the things of God for happiness rather than your own uh, measure of that. Because the other side of that is that the wicked, they're not so. They're not like the one planted by uh, the streams of water. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of righteous, you know, righteous and the way of the wicked will perish. The trick, I think, is not only to desire what God desires in terms of happiness, but to be around people who do the same. Not completely. We've got to be around people that need to know our God. But our bucket gets filled by the people of God. Our, uh, our, our desire for happiness will come from those who are ministering to us, even while we minister to them. All these voices who are communicating what God says say this. There's a state of being both happy and unhappy. That is normal. Uh, that God has created us, designed us to experience momentary happiness, to be made happier, so to speak. And that he's also created us to desire something more permanent that happiness will never meet. And until that day when it does, it seems like there's a few things that would help us out. We've got to look to him. We've got to make our desire for happiness what he intended to make us happy. Because if we don't, we'll be chasing pleasure. And again, that takes on a whole different set of problems that are counterproductive to what we want. We need to look around. We look to him, but we look around. Look around the people who need happiness in their life. And it's not hard to find. People are at a level of stress that I don't know that I've ever experienced. And some of you probably have. You remember times of war. You remember times of, uh, of depression. You remember times of, uh, of terrible financial circumstances. But for most of the people living now, this, this is their moment that they will measure all other moments by. But we need to look around to see who needs help. And it never takes much, but it always takes something. Ease the burdens of other people. Find out who needs a hug. Find out who needs help. Find out who needs encouragement. And, and finally, we have to stay in fellowship with God's people the people of righteousness. We do that in large groups like today. We do it in small groups. 
We do it one-on-one. -on -one. We do it when we use our phones and our computers to uh, stay in contact and encourage. And, and I'll tell you, the people that are very vulnerable to this right now are the people that are usually the givers of it. Many, many churches that I, I visit, their staff is having a hard problem. Not, not that you're not too, but you think about ministers that are, are wired and passionate and, and called to be with people, and a lot of them are speaking to cameras right now. And, and it just doesn't do for them what, what fills their, uh, their happiness bucket up with. We have to stay in God's word. We have to do what God said to do. And what if what he said to do was what we needed to, to do to be happy all along? We uh, have been blessed as a college ministry to, to take students on uh, a lot of trips. And uh, we go on trips for a lot of different reasons. We go on trips to help people. We go on trips to hopefully plant a seed in the heart of some of our kids that uh, they could be missionaries. We have 50 missionaries on the mission field somewhere in the world, and, and most of them got there by a short-term trip that, that they found in their heart what they were missing, what they were called to be. We go on trips also to, uh, to grow together. Uh, things happen when you're on trips that you have to trust God, and, and growth always happens in those moments. And I was counting up not too long ago. I've been on 49 trips in my lifetime and wonderful places uh, some local we went to help a joplin tornado uh, a month ago today we were driving to lake charles louisiana to help with hurricane victims we've helped uh, in, in a lot of different countries i told someone once i've i've dug holes in probably 30 different countries and uh, and profound things happen when we are helping we go on trips to remind our students that they're, they're not the center of the world, that the world looks different than Columbia, Missouri, or Eldon, Missouri. And not only that, but they are not living to create their own happiness. They've been created to give happiness. And uh, never was that more true than uh, when we were in Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, after Hurricane Katrina. Drove down... Uh, three separate uh, spring breaks to help with uh, work that the chur a church was doing in that city. But the very first trip, I'll never forget, uh, an older black lady walked uh, out of her camper, looked up, and saw, um, saw our van of students getting out of, uh, of the van. We just got to, uh, to Mississippi. And she had a big yard, but she was living in a tiny FEMA 20-foot trailer, 18-foot trailer. Um, and she immediately started walking over to us. And uh, she said, are you kids here to help with the hurricane uh, relief? And I was thrilled that she called me a kid, so I answered, yes, ma'am, we are. And uh, she said, well, let me tell you something. This hurricane is the best thing that ever happened to the Gulf Coast. And uh, our kids were looking, and all around there's destruction. I mean, there's homes that look like nothing had been got done, and we were there eight months after it had happened. In fact, that first trip we went on, Katie Steen uh, went with me to, uh, to Pascagoula. 
But this lady starts talking and she says, before the hurricane, she said, uh, black people were in this part of town and white people were in this part of town and there are military people that stayed on that part of town and, and she mentioned other groups. And she said, not only that, but the Presbyterians were over here and the Baptists were here, Church of Christ was here, and the Methodists were here. And she said, that hurricane knocked all of us down. And now there's just people. There's just people that need help. And you have come to help us. God bless you. We got a hug from her. She kissed every one of uh, the kids on the cheek. And... Uh, we hadn't even lifted a finger yet. We already felt good about ourselves. But so did she, because people cared enough about her to drive from Columbia, Missouri, to help her with the hurricane uh, efforts that, that she needed. That's the way God's designed happiness to work. You can't give it to yourself. You can desire it so greatly that you pursue it in many ways, but the truth is, it can be given to you, but you can't create it. But you can give it to other people. So do that, if I could encourage you. Look around who needs help. Love them, help them, serve them, invite them, give uh, encouragement, give diversions in their life that are out of the ordinary of what they're experiencing, because the whole world is short on happiness. And we can do something about that. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful to be in church today. Grateful to be among family. Grateful to be in a place to worship you. And Father, we are, are in a place that a lot of the world wouldn't even look to find happiness and hope. And Father, our desire, our prayer is that, uh, that you would help us to see as you did. As you walked the earth and as you looked at the, the people around you, you went where their need was. You went to the well to meet a woman avoiding people. Father, you went to the homes of people that others wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't be caught in. You went, Father, uh, to the places where lepers needed to be touched and the blind needed to see. And you brought happiness to those people because you cared. We want to be like you. And Father, our desire is that, uh, that you would, um, would help us to give what's needed and then help us to experience what you offer in return. That happiness that is as good as it'll get on this side of, of eternity. Bless this church, Lord. Help her light to shine bright in these dark times. And we ask this in Christ. Amen.